This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. This is podcast episode 235. And joining me is Barrett Tillman from Black Man Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, Barrett. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. You have an interesting story having come out of an American brewery there in Dallas, Texas, and having taken a sabbatical that has into Costa Rica that has turned into a, uh, a much longer presence down there. You are ex- have done everything from exploring mixed fermentation beers to, to finding ways to blend tropical flavors, tropical fruits and other ingredients, um, finding some ways to build authentic expressions uh, in collaborative ways with breweries around the United States, as well as, uh, you know, through Central America. We're going to talk about all of those things on this episode, but first, for nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. GD stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. GD also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design Experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, support for this episode comes from Hop Solutions by BSG. The Hop Solutions portfolio is a joint effort between the brewers, hop specialists, and brewing scientists of BSG and the RAR Technical Center that takes a flavor-first, application-specific approach to hops. Whether you're seeking biotransformation in a juicy IPA or dialing in a classic West Coast profile, BSG has a hop solution for that. Get in touch with the hop nerds at BSG by emailing letstalkhops at bsgcraft.com for samples, spots, and contracts. Quick mention that if you're a brewery in planning, visit breweryworkshop.com for more information about our upcoming Brewery Accelerator in Portland, Oregon this July. Barrett, let's talk about your brewing history. Um, you're in Dallas, Texas right now, and that's where you were before you decided to take off uh, on this sabbatical for Costa Rica. But talk to me about this arc in craft beer for you, how you got into brewing, how you got into beer first, and then how you decided to pursue a career in brewing, and then uh, where that took you and how you ended up uh, trying to or, or exploring that career from a, a home base in Costa Rica. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's great. That's a, that's. That's my story in a nutshell. We can wrap it up there. You said it better than <laughs> I could. Yeah, I mean, for me, Dallas is is home. Dallas has been home for a while. Um, I started home brewing here in Dallas, and um, Dallas has the the opportunity to be a part of North Texas Homebrewers Association, which which was founded in 1985. So it's one of the longest standing homebrew clubs in the United States. So when I started homebrewing, I was a part of that club. And so there was a lot of information that was just dumped out of that club. I mean, we we followed things like George Fix's book, you know, uh, Michael Jackson's books. And um, you had to know style if you were going to take your your beer to to the homebrew club and, and see what they thought of it. So that's that's kind of how I got started in beer. And um, I was just super excited about about beer at the time you know i was i was working an it job traveling a lot you know i kind of burn out on my job 
and making beer in a garage with my friends was it was it was great i could be i could be social all over again <laughs> everything else was just being a nerd it computer stuff you know no one wants to talk about that Brewing is nerdy too, but in its own specialized, cool, nerdy kind of way. Yeah, it was it was three of us when we got started, and uh, we kind of split up roles. And um, the yeast role landed on me, so I, I immediately got the technical part of it. So <laughs> that's how that's really how how things change for me. Just um, reading Chris White's book on yeast, and then trying to find yeast that would be appropriate for the beers that we were making at home and, and just kind of took off from there. So you found this kind of specialized interest in yeast because your crew of home brewers that you brewed with assigned you the yeast task. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny how an arbitrary thing like that from an early day could come to kind of define a career in some ways. Yeah, and you know I'm I'm cheap, and so my my friends were buying yeast, and I was I was buying you know expired smack packs and um, cropping those up, and it just kind of grew from there. Um, after a while, my friends were like, "Do you have this yeast?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have it somewhere." <laughs> and then we would we would make a a batch of saison from something that I'd cropped up from you know like an expired thing at the homebrew store. <laughs> What'd your uh, what'd your fridge look like back in those days? Um, oh man, the the fridge looked like a homebrewer's fridge. I mean, you you open up the fridge refrigerator, and you know, like I had I had pounds of hops. You know, like probably like sixteen varieties of of different hops. You know, like stuff that that you bought because it was cool. <laughs> sure, and, sure. And then yeast, yeast, man. I I had I had vials and vials of, of yeast. And um, and I, I was playing around with, you know, like some media stuff. So it, it was it was quite crazy. I had some stuff that I that I tried to put on slants. I had I had things in my freezer. I had things in my refrigerator, had things in my closet, had things in my bathroom. <laughs> it's all over the place. It's, it's homebrewing. Sure, sure. So how many years uh, were you homebrewing then before you said, hey, I want to try to do this professionally or I just don't have any other choice. I have to pursue this professionally because it's taken over my life. Oh, wow, man. That's a great story. So like I said, I got into beer with with three guys and um, we split roles and I, I got the technical role and I really liked the, the yeast aspect of that. And um, I was reading a bunch of blogs. I think I was like number seven follower on on Matt Fermentationist. I was following a, a guy from California who I've, I've never met this guy before. I only know him as an internet person. His name's Simon Ford. And um, he sent me my first bottle of sour beer and I, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely did not like it. I wanted to love it, you know, but I wasn't ready for that flavor expression. And so... um yeah, I'd, I'd spent some time in, with the with the homebrew guys, and you know, typical story. You're trying to make good beer, and um, you're you're in competition with your buddies. So, after about three years of of making beers and getting getting super focused on on sour beers specifically, you know, um, when my when my buddy Simon Simon Ford um, sent me an email back, he was like, "Hey, you know, maybe this style isn't for you," you know. It was it was heartbreaking, <laughs> and and getting that getting that, that email back like from him, 
it sounds it like was, a challenge. It was a challenge. I was like, because here, here's the thing. He had had this this beer that had been in his basement. He was a home brewer, and um, he was in California, with, which which is like the mecca of that kind of stuff. And um, he had had it in his in his basement for like two years. And he posted that he was bobbling it, and I was like, I've been I've been watching this beer for two years. I I, I want to know how it tastes. And I get this bottle, and I don't like it. <laughs> And that was quite heartbreaking. And um, so from from there, I I kind of wanted to get technical about it and see what I what I what I could like about that style. And um, he helped me out a lot. He, like he, he pretty much gave me a list of beers to try. And um, that list of beers, you couldn't you couldn't get many of those beers in Texas at the time. And so then it sent me on a scavenger hunt for this thing. And <laughs> and I I remember first liking um Petrus Golden hmm. and um, I was like but I like I like high fruitiness and high acidity and that became like my signature way of approaching that style. So is that enough for other, other stuff? Sure, sure. Were there other beers that just stood out and uh, and helped tell that story to you? They connect you to this whole style. Yeah, definitely Petrus because it was it was on the sweeter side, but it had the it had the sour notes in the background, and then followed by that it was it was Rodenbach, right? And then sure. you know like like then it, then it started to kind of morph into into these these artisanal expressions, you know, and um, and then I asked for more of his beer back, <laughs> <laughs> and um, now that was that kind of set the set the tone, and. Um, I was I was I was running around with my with my job, you know, like traveling and things like that, harvesting yeast from wild things, fruits and and grains and just trying trying to to kind of make beer my own. And what I noticed was if I put a beer in a competition that didn't taste like any other beer, it probably would win something, you know. As long as it was technically well made and and it it placed itself within a style it'll probably get an award. I remember the first batch of beer that I, that I made with the guys, it was a, it was a partial mash. And um, we did, we did Saison and um, that Saison took a third place award in, in one of the local competitions. And it was the first beer I'd ever made. And I was like, what made this beer so great? Well, when I fermented that beer, I just stuck it in the closet, airlock blew off of it. And I had this, <laughs> I had this vacuum siphon thing and that has like a plunger where gas would escape but it, it would kind of block it from going back down and i was like i'm pretty sure that beer had wild yeast in it and, and that's what made it so exceptional and um and so it, it just my interest kind of started from there interesting and so you know so you homebrew for a number of years you you've got all these yeast experience experiments going but you did then leave your it job and go work for a brewery for a little bit Oh wow, yeah. I I started homebrewing in two thousand nine, and um, that was that was approaching like two thousand twelve. I was I was a madman at, about that time. The first the first year I did seventy five batches of of homebrew, Oof. and then yeah, it was crazy. It, like it was absolutely crazy. I, I was I was in love. I was passionate about it. Um, I would come home from from work on a Wednesday night, and um, and I I do two batches of beer as long as I could get started before 
six o'clock, I'll be cleaned up before midnight. So that was like my my Wednesday thing. And um, I would try to, I would try to structure two batches of beer in because I would make I would make something standard and then something cool, you know. So yeah, that's how something I got to seventy five. <laughs> So you're so you're this madman homebrewer, but you then decided to yeah again leave the IT career and explore a career in brewing. Well, I'll tell you what happened in in December of 2013. My mom passed away, and I had this passion for brewing at that time, and I was like, "Fuck it, man! Life's too short to not do what you love." And so I said, "I will I will look for a professional career." in 2014. And so in 2014, I started working as master ciderist for Bishop Cider here in Dallas. And, um, and that, that was, that was a good introduction into, um, production fermentation. And, um, and then I'd worked out a, a sweet deal with them where I, I just had to come in to produce cider, you know? And, um, and so I, I, I transferred my hours to nighttime hours and um, I got really good at fermenting cider. So um, I had a lot of free time on my hands and I had a salary that I needed to make up for. <laughs> so I roasted coffee for a year that year and I volunteered at breweries um, that year. I did an apprenticeship um, down at Cedar Creek in um, Seven Points, Texas. I did I did some work with uh, Four Corners here in Dallas. And um, and then I started to bounce around with with my yeast project um and then kind of went from there so yeah i i got into professional brewing because my mom passed away and that kind of shook me up and i was like hey i got i gotta go for it you know <laughs> well uh, and what other breweries did you work for and, th and then what year did you then decide to take off and uh, explore this Central America, Costa Rica project. <laughs> All right, let's, let's give you a timeline. So, um, 2014, I started um, professionally. 2015, I, I launched a yeast company, Black Man Brewing Dry Yeast for Sour Ales. And then at the end of 2015, I started working for a deep ellum in, in sep not September, October 2015, I started working for a deep ellum. And um, released the first kettle sour production production kettle sour with Deep Ellum. Um, yeah, just within that same month because I had already had the yeast and bacteria, just needed a, a production facility to to go for it. And um, I was talking with John Reardon, and um, John Reardon was like, "Hey, we want to bring in you for a specialty program. Let's go from there." And so I came in six months into that. The head brewer walked away, and that just meant my shoe my my shoes got bigger. Pay didn't increase <laughs> though, <laughs> and um and and then you know like I was over everything at that at that point um on the, on the production side, you know, and um and then Deep Allen was was growing super super fast. You know like that was the goal to diversify the portfolio, all tanks full, and um and see who we could sell to, and um. Right before um, they announced the sale, things were things were just kind of getting shifty for me. You know, like I, I felt like I was in a position where I was I was drinking too much, you know, and I, I didn't have a strong personal foundation. And um, 
what what happened that really shook me up there is is I came home after after shift beers, pull into the driveway, spitting sunflower seeds out of the out of the window, and an officer walks up to my car and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" And I'm like, "Who are you and why are you here?" You know. And 15 minutes later, I'm in the back of a cop car, you know, with the oh. with the DWI case. And I'm like, holy shit, you know. And so that was that was in 2017. And I was like, I'm I'm championing this industry, but you know, like I, I don't really have much to show for it, you know. And so as I'm as I'm trying to to navigate that, you know, mental health, you know physical health, you know, taking care of yourself while also having the the pressure and the stress of, you know, like being in the industry of 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 brewing, being in the industry of alcohol, you know, late nights, heavy drinking, you know. Um I, I tell people during that time my my resting blood alcohol content was over the legal limit. <laughs> That's resting, you know. Functional alcoholism is a thing, you know. And yeah, so yeah. And so that that's that's really the need to take a sabbatical. That's really the need to kind of take yourself seriously and um, and put put your life before your job. And I think that that's that's kind of where I'm at now. A lot of people go cold turkey and just get out completely. But you have figured out a way to kind of manage that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um at the at the time, you know, like I, you know, like it, the only way to to live and be responsible is to is to take responsibilities for your actions, you know, and so here I was, you know, like in the highlight of my career, you know, like looking at a, a DWI case, you know, like in DWIs in our in our industry is common. Um, why is it common? It's because you know, like you're you, you're going to have a a nine percent beer at a bar you know if you walk into a bar right now all of the double ipas start off at 7.5 percent you know and they're and they're sweet so oh okay cool you know like I, I i drink that like soda soda's sweet too let me have three of them you know as soon as you had the 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 one and a half you're at the you're at the limit right there you know and so to to get in your car and drive yeah you can you can operate a motor vehicle you know, just like soccer moms operate a motor vehicle on Benadryl, you know, it's the same thing. Um, however, we're in our cars a lot. We drive around a lot. We're representing the industry a lot, you know, and and cops are everywhere. You know, you may get pulled over for a taillight. You may get pulled over for speeding. You may get pulled over for for not turning on your turn signal, you know. You didn't get pulled over because you were driving recklessly. You got pulled over for one of these things and you just so happen to smell like alcohol because you've been in a brewery all day. You've been in a bar all day. So there you go. And this is a it's a compounding effect for you as a black man. You, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, the social reality and the you know, statistical reality is that you are at a greater risk of being pulled over already. And yeah. now you've ad you've added that extra factor to it. Yeah, it's 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 an easy it's an easy thing, you know, like like um yeah, it's 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 easy to to be to be targeted in that in that way, you know, like any sign of aggression and like like when this officer walked up to to my vehicle in my driveway, I'm like, 
what the hell is going on here? You know, like what's what's happening? And I, I you were arrested in your own driveway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it's it's okay. You know, like this yeah, this is yeah, this yeah. is the this is the country that that we live in. You know, and um and the truth is, it was it was then my word against his. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. and and so, how how do you how do you fight that? You you fight that with with money. You know, um. You you fight that with years of time. You know, there's there's plenty of people that have DWIs. You know, there's plenty of people that tried to fight DWIs and, and couldn't get out of them. And so it was it was more of a reality check for me, you know? Yeah. Um and and I, I take that as a as a as a great as a great sign, you know, because I I remember standing on on the bar one one night, you know, because we do this kind of stuff. You know, I'm standing sure. on a on a bar, and this this was at one of the big festivals that we were having. And um, in Texas, we like to do this thing called shotgun, yeah, <laughs> and um, encouraging 300 people to shotgun a beer. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? And so when it, when I when I climbed off of the bar, when I was finally off of the bar, my my best friend in brewing was, was there, he, he runs a, a local brewery here. It's, it's called intrinsic brewing and smokehouse. And, um, I said to him, Kerry, Kerry Hodson, it's like, that's the last time I'm going to do that. And that's the last time I shotgun a beer because, you know, like there's, there's, there's this industry appeal that you, you have to be this, this flannel wearing bearded, you know, like drunk alien, who's who's really great at making beer but but it's also really great at handling beer that's an alien no no one can do that you know that that ends up that ends up being a hard time for your friends and family you know it's a great time for people who came by the brewery to to meet you know like the brewer but you know like you talk to ex-girlfriends and ex-wives and they can tell you a different story so Sure, sure. No, and that kind of idea that craft beer needs to be driving a party all the time is one that I, I hope we are and can move from, that uh, there are different moments to enjoy craft beer, contemplative moments, quiet moments, family moments, um, social occasions that don't require excessive consumption that can enjoy, you know, uh, focus around just enjoying that, these kinds of creative expressions without going there but you're right that's there is that kind of expectation that you're the head of the party if if you're the head brewer yeah and um and it's it's also it's also a leadership model as well you know like like the leadership model for the industry it can be whatever you desire it to be and so um i wanted to kind of come out of that so that i can tell my own story like i said at the time we were we were you know, like the fastest growing brewery in, in North Texas, you know, um, now that we're into the, the, the hard stuff, you know, like I don't want to name, name drop anymore, but, um, you know, like we were, we were the fastest growing brewery in, in, in North Texas for, for a reason, you know, like we, we had created that space and runway and, um, we worked really hard to maintain it, you know, um, and, and to get the company to a point where it's, it's, it's sellable, you know, 
Um, that that takes a lot of work. It's not it's not just an an entrepreneurial effort. You know, it's it's beyond an entrepreneurial effort. You know, like you're you're asking a lot of, of people and and um, and the brand. And so I wanted I wanted to be out of the community before we sold to someone someone big that would just kind of capture the spirit of that but but not be able to navigate it and you know like like this i was in the space where you know like after three years in in the beer industry you know um it was taking a toll on me you know and that was the toll and that was the price that i was going to have to pay you know like I, I was going to either have to pay that 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 price and in my health, I was going to pay that price out of my pocket, but it was coming from somewhere, you know. And so I, I took it as a sign, you know, like when you when you talk about, you know, like this kind of case, the case that I have with with my DWI is, is something easy that you can that I that I could have fought, you know, tooth and nail. And, and I probably would have got off, you know, but it wasn't it wasn't worth the fight for me. You know, um, I, re I remember I remember looking at the case and I was like. Let's let's let the judge decide at the end of the day, you know, how how this thing plays out. And um, because what I found out is while I was championing the industry, the industry wasn't necessarily going to have my back. You know, I wouldn't be able to leverage the lawyers that we had on retainer. You know, I wouldn't be able to even get a salary increase to help me financially cover the cost of this stuff, you know. And a magical moment was happening. You know, we were we were releasing some of some of the best beers that I've that I've made in my life. You know, like using yeast and bacteria that that came from the company that I started from my 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 garage. You know, with my homebrew story, and here I was pushing a pallet of of bottles, a pallet of of beers into an 18 wheeler with my signature on the side of the box, you know? And I, I was, I was in this, in this weird fight for, well, what is my own personal identity? Have, have, have I just given too much to this, to this industry? And so in that moment I was like, okay, you know, let me, let me touch base with all of the people that's close to me, you know? Um, and so and so I, I talked to all of the managers at the time. It's like, where, where are we going with this thing? You know, and the, the, the focus for the next year was going to be to release some specialty stuff and, and the focus on six pack beers, you know, because the six pack beers, they they were the beers that that made the money. They, they were the, the beers that grew the, the business. You know, if we had a really nice blonde and a really nice IPA and um, the push was going to be for a Mexican style lager because, you know, you, you go and you hear Bart Watson talking in the um, conferences and he's like, okay, the next best thing is going to be to target the Mexican community. Let's, let's hit him with a lager. <laughs> and so that's what we were going to do. And, um, and not, that's, that's, that's a business, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not that, that thing that you started in your garage with your buddies you know, and and you felt like a, a local hero with your homebrew because you were giving it away for free and everybody liked it, you know. And so, yeah, I, I, I was at that I, I was at that point and ready for a change. And so that that was that was um twenty twenty eighteen. 
Yeah, yeah. Trying to find some more community around it, the kind of community that you'd built out of home brewing that you felt there that seems to kind of get lost in, in that bigger corporate push. I want to let's talk about then moving to Costa Rica and exploring some of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, smaller, more niche fermentation ideas and definitely talk about some of your approaches to brewing and yeast there itself. Before we do that, is your brewery struggling to source or afford berry ingredients? Historic heat waves devastated U.S. berry crops, causing supply to dwindle and prices to skyrocket. That's why brewers are switching over to Old Orchard's craft concentrate blends, which mimic straight concentrates but at a better price point and with more reliable supply. Is any surprise that Old Orchard's best sellers are raspberry and blackberry flavors? Reclaim your margins and order your craft concentrates at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, as craft beer's most trusted point of sale system arrived is the mobile all-in-one solution you need to decrease service friction and increase guest satisfaction. With a full suite of craft-specific features, no contracts and no monthly fees, Arrived provides the necessary tools to help your brewery grow. Go to Arrived.com to set up a free customized demo. That's Arrived.com, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com. Remember, there's no I in Arrived. So you get out of this and imagine, you know, part of what typically comes with DUI and I know, or DWI, and I know this because I have also had friends that have experienced the same thing, uh, is a limitation on your own ability to drink. Uh, I don't know if that was Texas law and that happened, but I imagine it was a little bit of a, you know, a, some uh, legally induced timeout that also gave you some time to think about things. But you then decided to, to go international and uh, get out of the United States for a little while. Talk to me about that. Wow, that's, that's great. So yeah my my case was was interesting you know like like with with the dwi because i i wasn't technically driving um i i won some of the smaller things but when you go to court and you're facing a, a jury a jury may kind of lean into um more of the the um the moral stuff right and 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 morally yes i had been drinking so therefore i was sitting in the car so therefore yeah it, it kind of adds up you know, but that's not the real story. And so while I was was going through that, um, I, I got a call to to come down to Costa Rica. They were like, hey, we're looking for someone to talk about um, yeast and, and, and specialty um, beers in for this conference called BeerX in, in Costa Rica. And it, it was a great call. It was a call from one of the suppliers and um, they, they were trying to get some stuff into into that market. And um, it was going to be like an education summit. And I was like, you know, I'm in a weird spot in my career. I'm, I'm thinking about quitting my job, man. Um, and he was like, yeah, we still want you to come. <laughs> and I was like, OK, cool. I'll, I'll come. And so I, I remember at that time I, I was I and I, I didn't quit my my job while I was on probation. Right. Which is which is that's a difficult thing to do. So for. For the bulk of a year, I was at the job s- still dealing with the probationary period. You know, what what did that what did that look like? That meant that you didn't see me out. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> That's what that meant. And um and so being able to to go to Costa Rica was was a blessing, you know, like it was it was an ex- extension of of my professional career and um 
I had one stipulation, you know, like if I was going to travel out of the U.S., I had to talk to a probation officer and he was like, what are you going to do? It's like, I'm going to a conference and talk about beer. He was like, I was like, this is what I do for a living. He was like, well, yes, you can go. And so then I was off to Costa Rica. And so, you know, like I, I like, I like to, I usually don't get asked that question because I usually don't lead in about um, DWI, but I think that it's important. And I think that it's important for the industry and it's important for um, storytelling, you know, Beer is about stories. And and what I what I have always liked about beer for me is beer was the thing that allowed me to be social. It was the thing that allowed me to to actually have friends who like to do social things together. You know, nerds, I, I like to nerd out about about hi-fi audio. It's it's going to be me and frumpy old guys who have lots of money who can afford very expensive things. That's social, but it's not it's not community social It's not diversity social. You know, it's it's bringing people together. That's of an elitist class, you know. And so to 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 me, beer is a vehicle for everybody. You know, I, I can get together with friends and and talk about specialty beer or I can go fishing with friends and and have a, <laughs> a, a nice light lager, you know, and, and kind of go from there. So. When I when I first came to Costa Rica, I had that that to deal with, and um, but I I wanted to first experience the culture and the people, and um, and kind of go from there. So um, in 2018, I went to Costa Rica, and I was like, I'm going to take some black man yeast down to. It was 2018. I'm going to take some black man yeast down to Costa Rica, and I'll I'll do what I do in the U.S offer the yeast for free so that I can do collaboration projects so that so that I may be able to to maybe open up the, the market with the product. And if not, you know, we'll have some good times making beer. And so I, I took I took a, a personal business trip to Costa Rica first. And um, I, I did three batches of beer with with guys there. Um, I did I did a beer called Smoke and Lit with Train De Cinco and um, Ignacio Castro um, there. Um, back in 20, 2018, I did um, a beer called Sacred Nancy um, with a brewery called E Revivente and um, Fernando Mora. Fernando Mora um, there, I, I mentioned those two names because those two names now partnered up and they're they're onto a, a nice project that's new for Costa Rica, and um, and then I did I did a, a um, mead that used um, my bacteria in the mead. And the mead, the mead was, was with um, Costa Rica meadery. And um, that, that, all, of those, all of those spaces are still doing good things in Costa Rica today. And so I just felt like I had a great introduction to Costa Rica even before needing to go to Costa Rica to give a talk about, you know, like yeast and specialty beer and stuff like that. At what point then did you decide that uh, you needed to live there for a certain number of months out of the year? Wow. So whoever goes to Costa Rica, you are welcome. You can come stay on my couch. Um, just <laughs> just, just get out of the U.S. And, and come somewhere. You are invited. And, um, and that's, that's, how, that's how people are in Costa Rica. I'm, you I'm know. in. 
Yeah, man, I'll, I'll come, come down and uh, see you. Yeah, can you surf? Where you want to go? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a mountain biker, not a surfer. But uh, but Blake, our media sales, he spends a lot of time in uh, Costa Rica. Makes trip every year, and uh, they surf. So yeah, yeah. Man, uh, yeah, I definitely prefer the mountains. Um, I I like I like the the solitude of big dark structures that that um hide that hides animals and creatures and and yeast and bacteria and and you know. Like, microflora and microfauna all kinds of stuff so i, I prefer the mountains <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and so i went to costa rica had that great welcoming with the with the beers and um that allowed me to to have a product um that people could taste and then when i when i came back to give the talk you know i could i could kind of tailor the talk to exactly where the people were you know, to give to give a, a high level presentation that has a, a lot of a lot of terms in it that and, and it's not about the terms. It's really about how you use them. You know, it's it's not about um, experimentation. It's 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 what does the end product taste like, you know? And so what what I did with the, the presentation that I would normally give is I just dumbed it down. And um, and at the time I was I, I had already been playing around with um, wild wild yeast um, in a in a very um, homebrew way, meaning I would I would take samples from the environment and I would drop it in a little bit of wort and I would smell it. I would taste it. And if I liked it, then I would I would selectively move on to the next thing, you know. Um, so and the, here's here's the process on that, you know, like. I, I would let's 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 make it simple, you know, sanitary baby bottle. Why did I say baby bottle? Because the nipple on a baby bottle has an airlock on it. If it if it overpressurizes, it will burp. OK, cool. Put a little bit of wort in a in a baby bottle and go out into the wild and start dropping flowers, leaves, tree bark, whatever you can find into that wort. Oh, and by the way, you can you can now squirt that wort onto media you know and selective media and you can see is it bacteria is it yeast you know and that's that's just taking a baby bottle and squirting on the media of, of yeast you know because it's, it's it's we we've been practicing this stuff for a very long time and so um i i got really good at kind of taking the the information in you know like reading white papers and and seeing what really smart people were doing and then doing that in a very practical way um at home and for my for myself and so that's that's the presentation that I gave in Costa Rica and after that people could taste the beers at this thing that we call the sour synopsis and um and that went over really really well and so now that was my second trip to Costa Rica and at each time I went to Costa Rica, it was great. It had a great experience, right? And um, and so, you know, you 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 come back to the states and you go back to work, right? And so that's what I did. I, I left Costa Rica and came back to came back to work in the states. However, when I came back, I I, I knew I was going to quit my job. It was it was over with. It was done with. You know, I was I was I, I wanted to not have to to be in the industry and carry the the burden of the industry. I wanted to tell my personal story. You know, I wanted to to represent my yeast in a in a in a new way. And so 
I hit the road. I hit the road with with my yeast product and um, I started meeting people. Um, I would I would drive to pretty much any brewery and, and do a collaboration with them and with the yeast just to get it out there and kind of go from there. And, you know, like while I was doing that, I was I was watching the big guys kind of see, hey, there was a little market over here for these kettle sour things. You know, uh, maybe, maybe we want to we want to get in on that, you know. And so, you know, like my my pitch would would cost way more than I had than than one of their pitches. And so. Come 2019, I decided to shut that down. So I shut the yeast company down in in December of 2019, and um, and in in that in that time from January of 2019 to December of 2019, I was still interested in Costa Rica, um, but I I wasn't working in the same capacity that I was before, and so that that's what made it really really special. Um, I was like, how the hell can I get to Costa Rica and not have any money? <laughs> so so I I reached out to one of the local suppliers there and um, they were they were doing uh, a, another festival and they were like, yeah, we want you to come to the festival. And I was like, you want me to come to the festival? Yeah, I'll, I'll come to the festival. Um, what, will it, what will it take for me to stay there longer? <laughs> and so that's that's how that started. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> I'm still not exactly clear how you make a living doing this. Um, you know, is brewing still a primary uh, employment in some way for you? Yeah, you know, you know what I what I'm doing. I'm 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 writing a nicer resume. <laughs> Someone out there is going to sure, hire sure. me based on based on this conversation. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, so how how does how does it work for me? You know, like um, I came I came back to the U.S. and um, and I had the, the I had the yeast company, right? And so the yeast company allowed me to have that that financial buffer, and um, and it, it was it was a difficult time, you know. Um, I had a, yeah. had a lot a lot going on. Um, twenty twenty nineteen is is when my daughter graduated high school, right? Um, and so I was, I was looking over my finances and stuff and I was like, now would be a great time to, to take a sabbatical, to, to reinvest. And so January of, of, of 2019, I got invited to, to go and judge beers and, you know, like I, I, I needed a place to stay and I wanted to kind of be in Costa Rica for about two months. And so I, I reached out to the supplier and I was like, Hey man, let's, let's work together somehow. That was Stefano and Alexis, um, when wing of Costa Rica, they, they had a, a supply company called La Pupe at the time. And then they, they had two, two bars and, um, one of the bars had a, had a, it was like a brew pub. And I was like, Damn it! I'll make I'll make beer for the brew pub, you know, and and I'll I'll stay I'll I'll sleep on your couch, you know, and I'll figure it out. And so that's that's what we did. We would we would leave the city, and on the weekend we would we would go rep materials on on all of the beaches. And so I got I got to know the local ticos first, and then I got to introduce new products with the gringos on the beach, you know. And I say it in that way because when you look at Costa Rica, people land in the in the city. They spend a couple of days in the city and they head straight towards the beach, you know. 
And so there's a there's a lot of money along the coastline, but there's a lot of culture in the city. And so while I was there for for those two months, I I was like immersed in the in the culture. You know, I, I could I could pick up the paper and I could read Spanish and I could hear it. I didn't understand it, but I could read it, you know, and I could hear it. I'm still having t- a hard time with the language now. Um, but that being said, I I think that 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 gave me a, a nice welcome into Costa Rica again, you know, and um, and that that also extended my personal story. You know, you you want to know the hard knocks that people have faced to to kind of craft their career, you know, not not every brewer came out of um, UC Davis, you know, like not not every brewer is going to be as eloquent as Garrett Oliver, you know, um, not every brewer is going to have the the longstanding um, history in the industry as a Peter Burkhart, you know. I think that I think that we have to learn how to tell the full brewer story. You know, it's 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 not all guts and glory for everybody. You know, um, there's a lot of work out there. And so I I landed in in Costa Rica and um, January, February 2019. And during that time, Ignacio decided to put smoke and lit into a competition. And every time he put that that beer that we collaborated on into competition, it won a fucking award every time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, smoke, smoking lit was it's it's probably it's it's won the most award awards ever. You know, like it it it's best beer Costa Rica, best beer Panama, best beer Central America, and um, and it, it was it was a real magical moment for me at that time because here I was sleeping on people's couches, making, making beer for the brew pub, you know, like trying to rep, rep products on the, on the beach. Also that I, so that I, I could experience this, this culture in a, in a new way and kind of learn and and rewrite my own story. You know, I, I, I didn't want to be the brewer that had to walk in and, and um, line 300 people up for a shotgun. You know, I want to be able to talk about where the beer came from, what the materials are, who were the people that helped me to inspire the beer. And so here, here I was. And, and I was like, man, this is, this is amazing. And so I, re- I remember being at a, at a table and watching, um, Peter Burkhart judged a beer with Jennifer Talley. And um, Ignacio was like, everyone's on pins and needles about this beer. We don't know what's going to happen. And um, this was the beer. It was an historic Littenheiner with my bacteria, kettle soured, and um, and just exceptional beer. And icons in the industry were fighting over how it should end up in competition. And when it ended up as all of those awards, I was like, man, this is all right. Just I can check out now <laughs> because all of the people that I'd followed and, and fell in love with were, were there, you know, and it was, it was, it was an exceptional time. And so on, on that pinnacle, I landed myself back in, in, in the U S um, February 2019, and um, kind of went from there. Next question. 
Well, let's kind of pull to the the current time now. Um, All right. But before we do that, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brewhouse to the integrated hopbacks on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brewhouses, SS Brewtech has taken technology they invented working with world-renowned industry veterans and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, are you looking for the tools to make your next improvements in process and quality control? The Mettler Toledo InPro 8630i is the ideal sensor for combined color and turbidity measurement in loudering, filtration, and phase shift operations. Robust, compact, and easy to handle. It supports consistency in beer processing. The InTap portable oxygen meter gives you readings wherever you need them, flexible in production for verification, while purging or for troubleshooting, it's your perfect helping hand. Contact Mettler Toledo today to find out more. So now you you split time between Costa Rica and the United States. You do have you you come back here and there. You are I know you know from watching your social media as of late. You've been brewing some collaboration beers. You're in Arkansas for a little bit, made a collaboration beer. You're still doing this. When I talked to Kelvin Kolheim last year from Beale Street Brewing, he mentioned that he brewed a beer with you. You know, with your yeast. You know, you're definitely still getting out there, and you're still you know this kind of Pied Piper of uh, uh, you know of various yeasts kind of spreading these uh, around breweries in the United States as well as uh, Costa Rica. So talk to me about your current brewing focus and, uh, you know, and, and what your current approach is now in the in the market as it is. Okay. So my, my current approach in the in the market right now is to is to help others tell story, diversification story. You know, um, Black Man Brewing collaboration is about creating together. Um, so what I think that means is, is let's learn how to profit together. You know, let's, let's not look at it from a charity model. We're not trying to clean up bad business here. Let's, let's try to profit together, you know, and let's approach it from there. And so as, as I come, I love that you say that because profit doesn't need to be a bad word. Profit's a good thing. Profit represents beer connecting to consumers that enjoy that and want to keep buying it. And that's what creates profit. Absolutely. And um, and how and how you extend your brand is you extend your brand through a profitable way. People people buy beer. They don't they don't ask for beer for free. Legally, you have to sell it to them. You know, it, it's, it's tax. And so breweries are used to writing checks. Why are they not writing checks to these collaborators? You know, especially the ones that that are trying to add value to the even the the brewery's brand story and so i think that the project that i'm that i'm working on now is is super important because it's it's about it's about bringing people together um for it for that that reason you know to diversify craft beer what what do i mean by diversifying craft beer you know we we have focused a lot on telling a domestic story to a domestic consumer right and and what does what does that mean? You 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 look at the the target, the most populated community, and you target that because it's going to make you the most money. And you completely forget about all of the other communities until you until you need their money too. And so I think that contextually, you know, we all know that all communities drink beer, but you don't necessarily see that in the marketing and the advertising and even in how we talk about beer. How how we t- 
take the beer story and we immediately make it a, a domestic story instead of a cultural story. I think that it's it's important to take it and to, and let the beer itself tell that story of how people came together to make this beer, why they came together to make this beer. And I think that in the craft and artisanal space, we have the runway to do that. And so that that's been my my real focus as I as I try to figure out what to do with my project, because that's that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to figure out what to do with my project so I can make <laughs> some money. <laughs> Sure, sure. Now, you know, it's an interesting one. And I know that, you know, this this world of craft beer that we're in, uh, you know, there's this there's a need and a desire to pursue diversity. Generally speaking, most folks realize that the craft beer world, especially brew houses, I think by the Brewers Association uh, statistics are 93 percent white and uh, or sorry, 93 percent male, probably even more white than that. Um, it is it's a it's not a diverse industry and approaches to try to diversify that can come across oftentimes as disingenuous, cynical, um, exploitative, you know, trying to tap into communities just to make more money for a brewery rather than for providing or filling some need for that community and connecting in an authentic way with that community and creating products for, from and with that community rather than products marketed at that community. I think there's a difference there. And it sounds to me like that's something that you're trying to focus on now. Yeah. You know, like in the, in the end of this, this thing, I would, I would like to have a regional brand that's, that's co-packed, you know, and, um, and I would like to use my, my personal brand story in order to find the partnership and, and the, um, the capital to actually be able to launch that, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that that's, that's my ultimate goal, but I have to do the legwork. I have to do, I have to do what I'm doing right now, which is, is trying to keep the brand alive, trying to, trying to tell the story and, and trying to look at, you know, like how, how the brand can generate profit and where, where the brand can go and, and to, and to reach the right, the right markets. And so, what I'm doing right now, when I when I have to cross the border and, and visit family and friends in the United States, then I do travel and beer talks and tastings. You know, um, the the beers that I that I've made have 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 been made in commercial facilities, you know. And so all I need to do is is get that beer in front of people and to talk about what the project is like. And so as I'm hitting the streets with um trying to identify how I can find partners, you know, because I, I need partners, mm -hmm. um, how to find capital because I need capital. And and to know that the entrepreneurial effort that I'm on isn't something that I can do by myself. And it's something that that that's that exists in in a male dominated category and a white dominated category. And what does those numbers look like? You said it before. It's actually 70, 75% male and 93% white, you know? And we're we're talking about global wealth here. We're not just talking about, you know, like the little money that I may be able to make, the little money that breweries, the craft breweries may be able to make. You know, craft breweries still own a, a, a smaller percent of this, this big pie. And so there, I think that, 
if we can if we can tell that that local story, we can we can build a community around beer that's also healthy. It's healthy for the community. It's healthy for people. You know, you you don't you don't necessarily need three hundred people to shotgun a beer. You know, like if if you're also telling a community story, if those same people are going to be back in your tap room tomorrow, you don't need them to shotgun six beers tonight. It was like, hey, man, put it down. Yeah. We'll see. You. We'll see you tomorrow. You know, <laughs> come back tomorrow. But we're not telling that story, you know. So let's get into that. I want to talk about that creative process. You know, what does your beer creation process then look like? How do you, you know, I, I mean, we, I talk about that all the time with folks because, you know, that's, you know, about where it comes from, because some people are inspired by traditions and very specific traditions. Other people kind of, you know, work from a, a blank slate and think about flavor. It sounds like, you know, that narrative piece you know, is a big way that you kind of ideate when it comes to thinking about beer and that you then think about this uh, local connective story in a way that that intersects with your yeast focus. And, you know, um, but talk to me a little bit about how that creative process works for you, how you come up with beer ideas and how you uh, create new beers. Oh, that's great. I can talk about it from a homebrew perspective and a, and a professional perspective because, you know, like I, I had to learn how to think about beer in a professional way while my passion for beer was very homebrew like. And so, um, as a, as a homebrewer, your, your, your basis is flavor. You know, like you're, you're trying to get a beer that, that tastes like something else, you know, like in, in a lot of ways. And I've, I've never been super comfortable with my beer tasting like something else, you know? Um, so I, I usually start with flavor and, and starting with flavor, you know, like I would walk into a homebrew store and I would taste all of the malts, you know? And then, and then I also had, had brewing classic styles. I also had designing great beer, you know, and designing great beer kind of gave you a, 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 a bittering kind of characteristic. It also gave you like like nice groundwork on on you know, like what's the percentages of the of the malts. And then with um, classic styles, it, it gave you it gave you something that Jamil Janischeff had already won awards on, you know. And so and so I would look at those books and I was like, I don't, but I don't want my beer to taste like that, you know. And so. And so from from there, I would I would I would find how to place ingredients where I wanted them, you know, and and then after it was brutal, like, OK, what style is it? <laughs> 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 and not that's that's a that's the home. That's a homebrewer's approach. And then from that's a that's a Peter Bucard approach. Also, you know, the, <laughs> let's not let's not worry about a style. Let's just make a good beer. Yeah. And then we'll fig figure out a way to. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I, I've, I've got to meet, you know, like all of my heroes in the, in this industry. And Peter was one of them. And, and he's, he's a really creative guy. But what I, what I like about his, um, his, his talks now is it's definitely anti-style, you know? So, so Peter, you're, you're doing the Lord's work 
out there. We've got an entire podcast episode where he and I, uh, so I I'm in Fort Collins and he's, uh, I, I drive, or when I bike into work in the morning, I bike right back to, uh, by the back end of their, their brewery purpose. So, um, yeah, we've got a great episode where he, he talked at length about that here on the podcast. So, so now, now my, my beers start with people, you know, like in, in Costa Rica, I'm, I'm able to, to walk the markets and, and have conversations with, with local people. Um, and, and that's, it's, it's been beyond, um, inspiration, you know, like to take, to take someone's ingredient that they've hauled out of the mountains and brought to the central Valley in, in San Jose and to take that ingredient and to make something out of it. It's, 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 uh, it's it's beyond empowering. It's it's respectful. You know, you take the ingredient and you and you respect it and you honor it in a in a in a very kind of local way. And so that's what I've been doing since I've been in Costa Rica for the past two years. I got I got Black Man Brewing um, SRL full on business set up in in Costa Rica so that I can learn how to navigate a new market, navigate myself, you know, and take and use my professional experience and not to make American beers in Costa Rica, but to make beers in Costa Rica, you know, that's inspired by their people inspired by their stories, you know, and that's been the drive and the focus of, of the, pr- the project is, it's been the drive and the focus of the project from the beginning but you know like in being out of the the pressure of the US I'm I'm able to express that passion in a in a way that that shows the authentic nature of it you know it shows that yeah my 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 brand is is about creating together with others to tell this this story about beer that takes it away from the vices and it puts it into the art form the the community and the and the artisanal nature of of handmade products that's that's cool so you are actually releasing beer now in costa rica or are you on the way to release some beer in costa rica oh wow let me let me go back to my spreadsheet i think i've i've made um 47 batches of beer in costa rica nice and (laughs) and these are brewed brewed with other breweries primarily but released in the black man brewing brand yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. the, the the way that co-packing works, you 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 know Heineken doesn't don't make Heineken. It's made by right. somebody else. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, but with, with with my product, I can I can go to a brewery, make the product, and and all I need to say on the back of the label is where it was brewed and bottled at. And so that's that's what I'm up to. It's called co-packing. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, we've I've certainly talked to. In fact. Kelvin at Beale Street Brewing is doing the same thing where the brewing is happening down at Lazy Magnolia and he's releasing Beale Street Brewing. Um, it's a common, I mean, there's there's all sorts of breweries that operate that way in the United States. There is a reason why is because in the United States, it's a three tier system. You know, like you either you either build your business around manufacturing, you build your business around distribution or you build your business around retail. And you can open a, a bar, you can open a local brew pub, you can open a local tap room and tasting room, but you know, like the entities are already predefined and you have to, def- you have to decide how can I fit what I want to do into these spaces that, that legally already exist. So for, for me, as I, as I look at the context of, of things, if 
the beer industry is is the 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 cost of entering the beer industry is huge you know there's 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 a lot of money tied into just stainless steel and that's stainless steel that's not installed that's that that's not hiring a staff to actually you know have the expertise to make beer or have the expertise to sell beer or have the expertise to even pour a cold pint in a clean glass you know and so we we usually don't talk about all of those like really granular things when we're having these types of discussions we usually just talk about the passion of, of beer but you know like to to run the businesses is it takes a lot a lot of expertise and a lot of other hands for sure no i mean it used to be that like you could bare bones get a brewery going for 350 400 dollars even now i don't think that's possible with where construction costs are you're probably talking six or seven hundred minimum and probably well north of a million to get something set up that can actually produce enough beer to to pay people what they need to make from it um you know and and the if you're not coming from a place where you have, say, collateral in order to secure an SBA loan or some other way to, to uh, you know, gin up investment to fund that kind of capital. I, you're right. It's an incredibly huge barrier of entry that, uh, you know, then that's, I think, one another reason why the more economically advantaged in the United States or around the world are the ones that now are operating and owning breweries because they also have more of that access to capital and then, you know, potentially could take risks. You know, the, the number of people that have had lucrative careers and then decided to open breweries, it's a common theme. It's your theme too, right? You know, you had yeah. another career, you wanted to open this. Um, you have somebody who, like uh, uh, Marcus Baskerville at uh, Weathered Souls who was able to do it because one of his regulars had the access to the capital and was able to put the investment behind him to help going. If you don't have something like that, it's hard to get it. It's hard to grow it organically, and it's hard to make that turn into business to make that kind of thing happen. And so you're right. Naturally, you find ways to do it that aren't as capital intensive and uh, contract brewing, co-packing, alternating proprietorships, all of these other kinds of modes for using existing, you know, uh, you know, brewery facilities make a lot of sense to start a brand to see how it works and see how it resonates to get into that that practice of connecting beer to consumers and selling beer and then you know theoretically that can drive interest from the folks that might have money to invest in something like that and you know keep it moving forward i i, I like how you how you structured that because it, it it reminds me and it reminds everybody that you know like if you want to buy a car it's it's up to you to figure out how you're going to finance it you know, it's not up to anybody else to figure out how they're going to how you're going to finance your car, you know, and it's the same thing with business. If you want to open up a business, you have to find financing, you know, and you have to buy just the same car. You have to buy a car that you can afford. You can you can, you have to invest in the business that you can drive, you know, and so that's where I'm at with with my project. When when I have stronger partners involved in that. Then I'm I'm going to do more quite naturally, um, and what what we're what we're seeing now is we're we're seeing what I'm able to do, you know, like out of, out of out of my own strength, and um and I, and I I hope that as I'm as I'm telling these stories about beer and as I'm trying to get the name out there, the brand out there, what I'm trying to do out there, that um I can make the right partnerships, you know, 
and um, and we can we can build something together that that will be sustainable. And um, I, I I like being able to to place that in a beer story, you know, because that beer story is also my own story. You know, I'm 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 in that same that same thing. And I think that um, the only way to to build something that you're that you're going to be proud of is to be self-invested, you know, to to be all in. You know, if 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 my heart wasn't in it, I probably would have left this thing long time ago. You know, <laughs> so that's that's where I'm at with with that part of it. Let's let's talk about some of the actual beers. You know, okay. um, you know, um, talk to me about some of the more interesting recent beers you've developed, um, some of the process behind that, and then some of the things that you've learned through brewing them, whether that's yeast and fermentation, whether that's how to use and employ um, some interesting or different ingredients in ways that might be unexpected, or finding ways to, you know, put clever twists on certain style expectations. You know, that's, I just want to talk about some of your recent beers because uh, wow. it sounds like you're doing some interesting things. I want to, you know, we've talked about other things. We haven't actually talked about the brewing. Okay. Let's, let's talk about brewing for a bit. So, I, I wanted to to take on the challenge of brewing in Costa Rica and um, the the beer industry in Costa Rica is is faced with um, issues of temperature control. They're they're faced with issues of capital. They're faced with being in a small market. You know, they're they're faced with with all of the ingredients having to be imported, you know, and things that's imported are taxed while they come in, you know, and then beer is taxed again when it's sold. So these are challenges around, around beer. So to, so $24 four packs of hazy triple IPA are, are probably not the thing that uh, are going to sell very well. Yeah. The market, the market is much smaller. You can, you can sell sure. that 24 four pack to 1% of the population <laughs> <laughs> and you should do it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you should. I mean, there's nothing stopping you from from taking yeah. that task on. And um, and so, I I really I really came into into Costa Rica because Costa Rica felt like the U.S. ten years rewound. You know, I, I felt that I could be in Costa Rica at the same time. You know, like like Sam Caligioni was in you know like his garage trying to trying to get dogfish head off the ground. And so that's that's what that's what. Um, Costa Rica felt like when I when I visited and it, it was a great time to 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 be making beer. And so since I've been in Costa Rica, I've I've been because I, I like yeast and I like like um, challenges and I like like ingredients. I've been trying to ferment without temperature control. Right. And how do you answer that question now? You answer that question now with the Kavikis. Right. The Vikis is the answer to that. You know, but the Vikings comes with some precursors that you may not like with all of your styles. Right. And so how how do you how do you navigate that that challenge? Because in Costa Rica, refrigeration is the most expensive thing. Electricity is the most expensive thing, you know, and then you're in the market that can't just absorb all of the price that you want to throw at them. Right. And then on top of that, you have ingredients that may come in from from last year's crop harvest. Right. And so 
Um, I did I did a collaboration with a brewery called Numu Brewing in Guanacaste, and um, that beer was was released um, um, February of last year, and it was it was a session IPA um, brewed with with um, the Vike yeast, and the goal of that beer in my mind was to produce something with my friends that would that would change the game and also be something that that a local Tico person who decided to come to the beach, they could find an IPA and they could drink that IPA as much as they wanted to without being slapped over the, the head with bitterness or having having a beer that they just couldn't handle. You know, like a seven percent IPA on the beach is not what you really want, you know? And so that that beer was was um 4.5%. It was double dry hopped. Um, you know, you know, like, like we like to do in production, we, we, we get the, the, the second dry hop, the, the first dry hop in during, um, the D rest. And so that was, that was fun to get that in there. And, um, and not that dry hop specifically gave us some really nice tropical notes. Um, and then, and then the tropical notes. What uh, what hops were you using in this one? Oh man, I'll have to I'll have to look that up. Um, we we use what they what they already what they already had. Yeah. But um, because uh, let me let me pull it up. You know, because I have spreadsheets for this. Sure. Um, and so that that dry hop gave us a, a really nice fruity note. And so, what did the beer taste like with that dry hop? It it tasted like tropical fruit punch you know, in the tank because it still had a little bit of sweetness to it and um, it, it hadn't been completely fermented out. And then in the in the can, once it once it was canned up, um, that that beer, it sold. It sold really, really well. And then and then the, the second dry hop went in and the, the second dry hop was to was to land the grassy, the grassy notes that, that you like, but not too much, you know. And then let's let's talk about the 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 water profile on that. The water profile on that was was something that was going to finish before the hops and before the malt, and so it would be clean clean on the palate. And um, and Numu is is placed in a really great location because their their water comes in um, pretty much very neutral. RO water. And so that was, that part was, was easy, but getting, uh, getting the hops in there, um, in the right location and, and, um, and not letting the Vike yeast get out of control. What do I mean by that? Um, the Vike yeast can get out of control and kick out this, this thing that I don't like, which is like a pithy grapefruit note. That's, that's, that's just kind of yeast bittery. And I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't like yeah. that. And so what we, what we did is we, we controlled the fermentation on that. And then, and then we, we let the diacetyl rest go up a little bit to, to finish the beer out. I know what you're saying. It's almost, it's like a, like a slightly, I wouldn't like an earthy dirtiness, you know, that can come with some of the quite yeast, um, in certain kinds of conditions. Um, that seems to kind of dull some of the hop expression in, in some of those hoppier beers that I've tasted with the with the quake yeast. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely it. So that that beer was was um, no surprises here on the hops, um, Simcoe and Equinox. 
Mm. Interesting combination, right? Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, like to to pull those those notes out of the out of the beer and out of fermentation with with that yeast was that was the challenge for for that. And so, definitely that that um that dry hop at at D rest is is what solidified our our fruity notes, and then we got the grassy notes in there with that with that secondary, um, basically the 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 final dry hop. During the fermentation, did you keep the temperature in a certain range in order to get a certain quake expression from it? Or uh, I'm still curious what you mean by controlling that fermentation. Yeah, I would have, I would have tried to. Or did you do it with pitch rate? I mean, that I guess would be another way. No, 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 we didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to change up the um, the brew house procedures on their on their pitch rate too much. But um, all right, this is going to be in C. The the temperature for fermentation was twenty four C. Seventy five. Seventy five. That's kind of high. Yeah, but certainly not as hot. I mean, it's certainly not that eighty to one hundred Fahrenheit range that Quike can act. You know, can definitely work within. Absolutely, and so that that turned out to be a very beautiful beer, and it it, it sold really well. Risk bill on that was was pretty standard, just just some some pilsner malt and a little bit of Vienna. Cool, cool. Are there any other uh, you know beers that uh, posed an interesting creative challenge for you, or that uh, that you learned something while brewing from? Oh man, that's that's the goal. You know, like the the goal as as a as a brewer, especially someone that does that hasn't brewed in the brew house. You know, like like like. Head brewers like the like to pin you to the wall and be like, okay, let's see what you can do. <laughs> so that that was the that was the challenge. And um, praise the Lord, you know, like I, I did pretty good on on that one, and and the the beer sold really well. And um, you know, like usually when I when I do a collaboration with someone, I'm I'm asking for you know like really strong black man um, branding presence. You know, I think that the I think that getting the brand in front of people is just as important as um, as doing a collaboration. And so I, I look at it that way, you know, like how, how can I get black man's story in these spaces without, you know, like just rolling over the can and seeing in the fine print, Hey, we, we did this with this guy that's called black man. You know, I, I think that it's important to, to kind of leverage those relationships to also get a strong brand presence in the, in the market, you know, um, because, it's it's you know this this is full on creativity from start to finish you know it, it's it's like handing someone a, a a million dollar recipe you know and 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 you know like we don't we're we're not really talking about that in the in the collaboration space you know like the the idea is that you can you can go on with your with your brewery and make whatever you want but if you're if you're coming at it off the streets as a collaborator you you don't have a brewery to go back to you know? And so, um, and, and it's the old exposure question, right? Like if you're coming at it from an equal standing and are able to share this kind of, you know, you're sharing your audience with the brewery, the brewery is sharing this other brewery is sharing their audience with you. And that, you know, it becomes this kind of equal footing to approach a collaboration on, but it's a little different, you know, for you where you are not, you, you don't have this physical brewery place, um, you know, but you 
can bring an audience that is paying attention to you and paying attention to black man. And you're bringing that audience and helping pay attention to then, you know, and bringing that to, and as well as this kind of creative and collaborative idea to that. And so you're right. I think, I think, uh, because there isn't that same kind of parody at play there, you have to approach it a different way. You don't want to be like that, that, that bar that's like, you know, to the musician, just come play and it'll be good for the exposure. Right. I don't know. I'm not going to pay you, but I'm just gonna give you the exposure. Yeah. Because you know, like you, you can't eat exposure. You can, you can take your check to the bank and deposit it. And and then when you go to the bank for a bank loan for your business, you can show that you have money coming to your account over the work that you're doing. You know, at some point you're going to need to replace your instrument. Yeah. I hope you collected some money for that and not just impressions. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, sure, sure. Any other beers that stick out in your recent mind that uh, you know you had particular fun with or learned something from? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and let's let's stretch the surface on this a little bit deeper. So I I spent some time with the indigenous community of Costa Rica. Um, and what what does that mean? You know, like I, I had I had a guy who is a linguist um, try one of my beers and. This guy was like, he was crazy about the beer. His name was Ernesto and um, Ernesto Garcia. And um, he he calls me. He's like, hey, man, how can I get your beer? And I was like, I sell it at this place in San Jose and I sell it at this place in Uvita. You can go to the place in Uvita. It's called Welltail Brewery. You can get it there or you can get it at this place in in um, the Central Valley called Stolas Market. And um, he was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at Welltel now. I was like, okay, so buy whatever you want. <laughs> and, um, and he tries the beer and he was like, yo, you know, like we don't have any brewers around us that's actually trying to tell a Costa Rica story with Costa Rica ingredients. And I think he, he had a, a beer that was made with a sour beer that was made with Mamonis at the time that I, that I'd made. And, um, and Mamonis is, is Rubiton, is Mamonis Chino. It's um it's like a it's like leche, but um but that beer was fermented with yeast that I had harvested from the the Osa um Uvita. And then once the sour beer was was solid, then I finished the beer with with this local fruit. And um the story on the on the local fruit was was really fun because I was walking down the Cosinara and as I'm walking down the Cosinara, I could see a father and son at this fruit stand. And I didn't see them at the fruit stand always because I would always walk. And um, and I was like, man, this this really reminds me of being in the South in the US. You know, I'm, I'm a when I get to this fruit stand because there's a, this is a father and son out here, you know, I'm gonna buy something from them. And um what they had was they had these they had these mimonas. And um and I was like, hey, you know, what do you have? And he was like, I have mimonas. Would you like to try them? I was like, no, I think I'm going to put them in cerveza beer. He was like, you're going to put them in a cerveza. He's like, is like, that's interesting. I was like, yeah, I hope it is going to be interesting. And um, he was like, how much do you want? He's like, I'll take five kilos. And at this time he didn't have enough plastic sacks to put the, <laughs> the mimonas chino in. And I had my computer bag and he had this like, this like grain bag. And I was like, Let's just stuff them all in this in this in this grain bag. 
Like, so we stuff them all in a grain bag and I and I get to Welto Brewery with with this with this five kilos of Mamona's Chino. And all I can rem- remember as I'm processing this fruit was a smile that was on his little kid's face, you know, and I was like, man, this is why I do this, you know. And so for Ernesto to then drive because he was he was from the Central Valley, but he was he just so happened to be in the area looking for a brewery for him to drive to the area and actually find this beer and fall in love with this beer. I was like, this this is this is what we're talking about to to use beer as a vehicle for for community and not just community, local community. And then and then to take that expression international. And so I I use that story to tell a different story. So technic technical things. How much fruit did I put into that 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 beer? It was it was a 50 liter batch and I and I put five kilos of, of fruit. That's that's roughly 10 percent. Um, why mm-hmm. so much? Because, you know, like you you're going to lose something to the fruit. And um, and and then after that, the, the beer got kegged and bottled and um, it was sold on site right there at at Welltail Brewery in um, Uvita in Costa Rica. How do you, how'd you process it? Obviously you're not going to freeze the fruit because, uh, that, that would cost far too much. You just chop, do you puree, do you, um, you know, and then do you do a, like a a high intensity, uh, infusion and then blend back into a batch? Do you fill tanks with the fruit? You know, what is, what's that method look like for you? All right. Since, since this was a, a 50 liter liter batch, I, I peeled the fruit. The fruit has this, this seed in the, in the center. And so I was like, you know what? I really want, I want the full expression of the fruit and because the fruit tastes really light. So how do, how do I get the full expression of the fruit? I was like, man, this beer is going to take a while because I didn't want to chop it all the way down to the, to the pit because the pit of that seed was, was just really kind of funky and the, yeah. the seed, the fruit itself can be kind of oily. So I was like, I, 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 w- I know that this will do really well on a, on a sour beer that has some structure. I need the, I need the pH to kind of, kind of, kind of be cut while I'm adding this, this, this fruit. And so that's another reason why I kept it in the, in the 10% range so that, so that the pH of the beer could buffer the amount of fruit that I'm adding to it. Right. Um, and, what, and what do I mean by that? You know, like I didn't want to, to throw the sour beer out of balance because I'm adding too much fruit to it. Right. And I also needed the, the sour beer to finish out the fruit and give me the expression from the fruit as as if the sour beer just kind of leached out the the flavor of these mamonas chino and so that that beer i once i had the fruit process i i i i got the the fruit in a in a keg and then i racked the beer on top of it right and then and then i i let it i let it referment on the fruit forever you know and then I came back and um and processed it forever. after that. Maybe not forever. <laughs> yeah, it took a while. That beer took a while. Yeah, yeah. And and um, how, how long? And uh, did you as ambient temperature? Or, uh... Yeah, that's a that's an ambient temperature. Ambient temperature okay. in Costa Rica is um 
in Celsius, it, it would have been like anywhere between 26 to 32 degrees C, which is like, yeah, it's wide, that's a wide range. Sorry about I've, I've switched over. No, it's 72 to 89. Yeah. So that that's that's pretty hot. Yeah. It is. It is. But the the real the real magic is having a having a, a sour beer that can stand up to a watery fruit. So let me, let mm. me say that. So so I pulled I pulled the I pulled the when when I when I then rack the the beer off the solids, right? So rack the beer off the solids at 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 3 months and then and then had to had to wait again for the particulate, you know, like you get, you get like, like the powdery fruity stuff, you know, like, like it would be fruit tannin and stuff like that. You know, to get that to settle out naturally, it's going to take a, a little while longer. And so that's why that beer took. So uh, again, long. at ambient temperature, take, it's not like you can just crash it and, uh, and drop stuff out. Yeah. 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 Rack it again. And then, and then go from there. And so like, like there used to be this, this old technique before we had, um, filtration is you would just consecutively rack things to get it mm -hmm. clear. And um, sour beer doesn't necessarily need to be clear, especially if it's going to be bottled conditioned, but you're, you're racking it to leave behind the, the particulate matter. You know, you don't, you don't want someone to, to pour a glass of fruit pulp. So you rack it to get it off of that. Sure. Sure. Um, what, when you mentioned pH, you know, what is your, typical goal for ph with your sour beer man I, I would love to talk about that in titratable acidity because that's a better that's a better excellent thing. how but, many grams per liter of titratable titratable acidity um I can, certainly, <laughs> I can certainly converse in those kinds of terms too no it's good as you mentioned that because you know ph is not necessarily a, a sensory term it's a you know what a concentration of ions it, it doesn't necessarily equate to the way that people taste things. Absolutely. And, you know, like on that, we're, we're definitely looking at the, the lactic component, you know, like that's, that's one that's, that's easy to, to, to titrate. Um, but in Costa Rica, I didn't have those tools, you know? And so, and so I had to go in this, in this realm off of, you know, past experience and per, and perception, you know, like the only measure that I, that I had at, at this point was, was pH and um, you know like like using a, a pH meter that's that's not that's not accurate you know to to be honest I I could <laughs> sure, give you sure. I could give you a number it's it's gonna it's gonna be in the it's gonna be in the four range you know oh really okay yeah so three point eight pH to to you know like four four one four zero you know mm -hmm. um. That's kind of the uh, the the target. I would, I, yeah, I would generally equate that with more of the tart realm than the the like full sour realm of the, you know, three point oh to three point three, three point four. Some of the more extreme elements of uh, American sour beer that push that acidity to um, incredible uh, low levels, or high levels, I guess. Yeah, I, I really I really like high acidity, but I'm going to have to say this. The market 
doesn't like high acidity. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so like, like the balance is to get something that's, a, that tastes like juice. That's, that's acidic as juice, you know, like everyone, right, right. everyone loves a, a refreshing, um, um, lemonade, right? Everyone loves a refreshing orange juice, you know? So the acidity of a, a tart fruit. And, um, there's a lot of citrus in, in, in Costa Rica, and um, and so I've I've been playing around with with fruits, but mostly for their their personal expression. Sure, sure. No, and I think that's a similar strategy that a lot of other American brewers are using, trying to dial that acidity level into that comfortable space where fruit juice is already, because people people are happy consuming it at that level. Um, when you talked about natural or with using local fruit, it, it really struck me because we. We're over in Belgium for a few weeks and recorded a whole bunch of podcasts. Um, and what you saw there was a lot of brewers expressing their heartfelt love for things like native scarbic cherries mm. because those are grown in the area and they've grown up with them. And it was this traditional thing. And in a lot of ways, some of these beer traditions that we have, especially around sour beer that we've and you know, followed and inherited from this Belgian brewing community have been driven by some of those things. Like the fact that Creek is such a popular beer style is because that was a fruit that grew in proximity <laughs> to these Belgian Lambic brewers. And they would naturally then use this local ingredient to them. It's interesting from a philosophical standpoint to see Sour beer can can be made everywhere. These cultures exist everywhere. They certainly exist in Costa Rica. And yet the fruit world is different. They don't grow cherries in Costa Rica. It's such a it's a warm environment and it's much more citrus and tropical fruit. Yeah. Um and it you know, it seems that there's this space for embracing a traditional practice if that practice is incorporating local fruit rather than calling it tradition to use the same fruits that they used somewhere else, something that might not be native to the place that you're making the beer. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the style Catalina sour is, is an example of that, you know, like um, just, just in that, in that, um, that Argentina, South America um, tradition of adding fruit to, to, a sour based beer. But I, I think that we, we talk about that expression as it relates to sour beer quite easy because sour beer can stand up to, to fruit. It seems to be a good, a good pair, you know, like, but looking at Costa Rica and knowing that a lot of ingredients come in for beer, you know, like malt and hops come in, you know, um, the local, the, the local yeast may not make a, a nice lager, you know what I mean? And so, right, right. and so to express, to express the locale and to express the, the culture, you know, like that, that's where, that's where in my mind, sour beer has, has room, you know, and, and sour, sour beer also has, has room because, because it has, it has an expression that, that goes back to things like chicha, you know, um, in in Costa Rica, corn is 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 popular, right? Um, and so going going into a beer that I that I've done that that tells a, a great story with people is is working with um, Ernesto as a linguist, introducing me to his his 
his friend um, Leo, who's who's from the Boran community in um, the Tarabas. When when I visited him, he 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 showed me how to make their their native chicha, which is which is which is something that's that's fermented with wild yeast that's that's propagated off of corn, and then that 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 propagation from the wild yeast on the corn is used to ferment a corn-based beverage, you know? And and what is it what does it taste like? It tastes sour, you know. Um and so to to take that experience and to and to and to try to tell a, a, a story of of people and cultures that that that's that's not just a domestic thing, but it's a it's a cultural experience. Um, I would say that the beer that I that I did with Vector Brewing Company in Dallas, Texas, is is an expression of that. It's called Warrior Forest, and that's that's a beer that's made with blue corn, guava leaves, and nancy wood. That I I got the guava leaves and the nancy wood while I was visiting the the indigenous community, um, Leo and his family, um, in the Tarabas of Costa Rica, smuggled that stuff all the way back to the U S <laughs> to make a beer in the U S with those ingredients, you know? And, and that's what I'm talking about. You know, like honoring the time and the space that you spend with people, you know, I'm sleeping on your couch. How can I honor the story that we're creating together? I don't even know your language. I'm I'm fumbling to to express myself with with Spanish here, you know. But this experience is something that we can share and we can continue to to tell this story together, you know. And so and so to be able to to honor the time that I that I that I've had in Costa Rica with with the talent of making beer, you know, the 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 liquid beer part of it is the easy part, but to figure out how to get these these expressions into a, a larger market is is where you know like I need help, you know. So that's sure, sure. That's the story. Where uh, let's zoom out as we uh, come to a close here. Okay. Where do you hope Black Man Brewing is in three or four years from now? Three or four years from now, I would like to see um, Blackman as a as a regional brand that's that's um, co-packed just like Heineken. Um, I, I would like the brand to have an expression probably in the in the in the lager section that everyone can drink and assign it to a storyline. Well, very cool, very cool. The story is always the important piece there for yes, you, yes. Um, and such an interesting thing to connect that kind of narrative with uh, the liquid in the can or the bottle or the glass. Well, I think that's a great place to close. For nearly 30 years, G&D Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. Get in touch with the hop nerds at BSG Hop Solutions. Reclaim your margins with craft concentrates from Old Orchard. Arrived is the point of sale system designed specifically with breweries in mind. Put SS Brewtex advances to work in your brew house. And Meller Toledo's InPro 8630i supports consistency in beer processing. If you enjoy this podcast each week, we'd love your support. Go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button. If you're planning a brewery, of course, head over to breweryworkshop.com for information on our next workshop in Portland, Oregon this July. Barrett, if people want to learn more about Black Man Brewing and about what you're doing, where do they find you uh, 
out there in the world or the internets or, or everything else? All right, my Instagram is the place to get the most up-to-date stories and pictures and things like that. I like to do this thing called the listening session where I release um, music and talk about my beer journey. It's on Black Man Brew on Instagram and it's blackmanbrewing.com on the interwebs. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for joining with me on the podcast and thanks for talking with me about your approach to brewing life, business, and this crazy journey and awesome story that, uh, and personal story that you shared with all of us. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.